It's the Productized Podcast. My name is Brian Castle. Thank you for tuning in as always. We've got a good one for you today. We're going to talk to Rich Stats. He's going to share with us the step-by-step on his outbound sales system. It's really like a sales machine that he's built to drive predictable leads for his service business. Really, really good one for you. But first, let's answer a question from the YouTube channel. How do you keep quality standards high and set expectations when you're outsourcing, whether you're hiring developers or any other types of freelancers overseas or domestically? Keeping those standards high is incredibly important. That's the question that I'm going to answer today. Hello again, Brian Castle here answering another uh, reader's question. And actually today it came in from Twitter. Helen asked, how do you keep quality standards high and set expectations with developers, especially when you're outsourcing overseas? Well, I think that's a great question, and I think it doesn't just apply to developers. It, it applies to any freelancers that you're hiring. Uh, outsourcing overseas or, or domestically, I, I think um, either way you need to set high expectations and, and keep quality levels high. So how, how do we do that? I've been outsourcing both overseas and domestically here in the United States for, for many years now. I think the first time that I outsourced overseas was about 12 or 13 years ago, and I've been doing it pretty consistently ever since. And so I've learned quite a few things and quite a few uh, strategies that, that have worked. And, and of course, uh, I've had a lot of missteps, for sure. Number one is to set extremely clear instructions. And this is almost like a, a craft that I've become really passionate about in terms of like giving the person that I'm hiring everything that they need and being extremely detailed in, in my initial instructions and and task requests that I give them. You know, th- this might be one of those things that feels like overkill, but it really, really goes a long way. And so how do I do that? I use a combination of writing text instructions. And in some cases, I'll use video as well. I, I don't rely on just one or the other. I usually, if I'm creating videos, then I will also write the instructions as well. You know, because some people that I hire just are more visual and, and others um, prefer to read it. And having it written also makes it easy to come back and reread the instructions so that, again, that they're very clear. For videos, I'll usually keep them very short and focused. And if it's a larger task, I might break it up into multiple videos. I like using tools like loom.com. That, that's a really easy uh, a video capture tool. It helps me share my screen and have a shareable link. I like that tool a lot. In terms of other tools that I use when I'm communicating with with people that I hire, obviously, I use Process Kit quite a bit for, for uh for delegating tasks um, to my team. With developers, I've used GitHub quite a bit in GitHub issues, and we go really, really detailed in writing specs and instructions and notes for each individual technical task that that I'm asking a developer to execute. It helps that I'm technical as well, so I get into the weeds a little bit there in terms of the initial instructions. Also, when writing those instructions, I almost always try to make them actual checklists, like items that they have to check off because that also ensures that that they will actually do each point that I'm that I'm asking them to do. If if you're vague about the specific deliverables that you're asking them to do, it's it's too easy for them to miss. And so that that's why I actually use checkboxes that they have to click and check because they wouldn't check it if they didn't actually do it, right? Now, after the initial instructions, you cannot expect somebody that you're hiring to to just knock it out of the park on their first go, especially if they're a brand new hire you're going to have to come back to them with feedback. And you want to make that feedback as detailed as possible as well and keep it prompt. You know, don't delegate a task and then like take two weeks to get back to the person because that's frustrating for them. 
it reduces the quality if, the, if they're just waiting around for your feedback. So if I'm delegating a task, they send me back the, the first pass at it. I'm going to come back within 24 hours with my notes and feedback and, and the changes. And my third tip here is to ask the person to make the revisions. Don't make the revisions yourself. This is a mistake that I made again and again in, you know, in my early days of outsourcing. You know, I would ask somebody to do something. I would get their first pass and then I would find things that are wrong. Sometimes they're really small. So I would just go in and, and oh, I'll, I'll fix that up myself or I'll, I'll, I'll redo that part of it myself. In some cases, I redid the entire thing myself. You want to try to avoid that because you want to ask them to make the revisions. Even if they're tiny, you're not like annoying them by the thought was sometimes like, oh, I need to ask them to, to rewrite this word or capitalize this sentence or something really small like that. And maybe I'm annoying them by asking them those things. What you're actually doing is you're setting the expectation that you know, they're not finished until these, these I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. You might think of them even as like nitpicky feedback requests. The, the truth is you only need to send them that feedback once, the, those requests once, so that next time when they do a similar task for you, they know that they can't actually send it to you until they've, they've really knocked off these details because they're going to expect from you that you're going to come back with these requests. I mean, I actually learned that myself early on when I worked as a junior web developer at an agency, I would, I would send in my work and they would send it right back to me because it, I, it didn't test out in, in all the browsers and things. And that, that really, really went a long way to helping me become more detail-oriented and really raise my game as a, as a professional web designer and developer. And so I really, looking back on that, I, I really appreciate the feedback and revision requests that I got from my managers. And so I try to do the same thing with the people that I hire now. Now, the bonus that, that kind of wraps all of this up is that it all starts and finishes with communication. So as, as I go through the very first few tasks with a new person that I've hired, if they're not responding with the same level of detailed communication, especially written communication, it helps to speak and, and have calls. But most of our feedback when we're working remotely and outsourcing overseas happens in, in written communication. If they are not writing in, in perfect, fluent English, and they are not being as detailed in their explanations as possible, that's just going to make this really, really difficult. And especially if they're ignoring or missing some of the details that I'm giving them, that's, a, that's another form of poor communication. So when that starts to happen, usually my relationship with the freelancer is not going to work out very long. And over time, I've learned to look for those communication skills first and foremost when I'm initially hiring. So in the hiring process, we'll have some interview questions over email. We'll have some interview questions in person over a call. And in addition to their actual technical skill, I'm looking for really, really strong communication skills. And that always helps. So I hope that helps. That's what has helped me be successful with outsourcing overseas. And, and you know, you're not going to get it right every single time. Even still today, I hire people who I think are going to be great and they just don't deliver. So yeah, it's, it's a process. It's a lot of trial and error, but, but it is a skill and a muscle that, that you can get better at as a manager and as an outsourcer. If this helped, if you have any other feedback or, or questions, you know, you can leave them in the comments. Go ahead and subscribe to the channel. That, that really helps a lot as well. See you next time. Today on the show, I'm talking to my friend, Rich Stats. He's the founder of Secret Stash. Rich and I have known each other for, for quite a while now, several years. We, we've hung out at, at the Big Snow Tiny Conf trips for several years running now. And the main thing that I'm talking to Rich today about is actually a conversation that I've had in private with him a number of times, but I wanted to finally bring it on air for, for you all to hear because Rich has built an incredible, meticulous 
sales system. I mean, an outbound sales system that has been really working well for driving leads to his WordPress web development agency. Sorry, I shouldn't even call it an agency. It really is more of a productized service where they just kind of plug into these creative agencies and then they outsource their website, their marketing website development needs to Rich's company. And so we talked about like how they price for that and kind of productize their pricing a little bit. But then we really got into the nitty gritty on how he built out this this outbound LinkedIn sales engine where they're making connection requests on LinkedIn and then doing some manual filtering and then actually mailing a gift to these people and at their office and then doing some follow-up and turning that into, into real predictable business and leads. Yeah, Rich was incredibly generous with being totally open and transparent about all this. I mean, I, I, this is the kind of episode that you're going to want to kind of sit down and, and take some notes on, I, I could tell. So anyway, without further ado, here is my conversation with Rich Stats. Enjoy. All right, Rich Stats. Rich, how's it going, man? Going pretty good. How are you, Brian? Doing good. So you and I have known each other for a while now. I believe you were an attendee of the very first Big Snow Tiny Comp in Vermont. Yep. And you've been back to most of them since. I think I did the first two or three in Vermont and then the last three or so in, in Colorado. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so yeah, that's been awesome to kind of hang with you and talk. We, we've been talking WordPress, we've been talking business and bootstrapping for all these years. And one of the coolest things for me has just been kind of watching you build up Secret Stash, your your web development agency. I don't know if you even call it agency. I'll let you talk about that in a second. But like, it's been cool for me to watch you evolve this business and and grow it and make so much progress with it over these years. So why don't you give us, you know, the the quick kind of pitch on Secret Stash and and what things look like for you today? Yeah, sure. So today, Secret Stash provides on-demand WordPress and Shopify development to creative agencies that either don't have development staff or need help with overflow work. It's a pretty cool niche that I fell into in the first uh, recession that we ran into in 2008-2009. Agencies laid off a bunch of their development staff still need to build websites. And I kind of just got lucky. I had a roommate who was a creative director and needed help, worked with them, and then just continued to try to build up relationships with local agencies in, in Denver and Colorado, and then over the last couple of years uh, throughout the country. So I know like you yourself, you sort of come from a background as a, as a developer, especially in the WordPress space. Is that right? Self-taught developer, a lot like you in the Rails world. I had moved to Colorado in 2006 and I wanted to build a community website for uh, local skiers and snowboarders. And that was sort of my first stint into WordPress. It was you know, it. one of the one-click installs that you can get on Bluehost. I didn't know this, but so you've been kind of focused on serving agencies, so being the development resource for agencies since the very beginning. I thought that was something that you sort of evolved into in later years. That's true. I did evolve into it. So we didn't, we didn't become exclusively an agency partnership until probably 2012. Between 2006 and 2012, we did anything that we could do to make money. So we did search visibility, paid advertisement, content marketing. We even did a little bit of design and development. And then as we got better at development and I realized how difficult those other things were, um, we just continued to niche down. And actually, we canceled our last content marketing contract with the client last year. And so now this is like the first time that all we're doing. Uh, 2020 is the first year that we're only doing development. Got it. Yeah. Got it. 
so, you know, the bulk of this interview, as you know, uh, I want to dive into kind of your proactive outreach program that you've been building around LinkedIn and sending actual packages to, to people at creative agencies. I think that's really interesting. And it's been really cool for me to, because I know you and we've talked about it every year, like how you've really dialed it in and optimized it. We're going to get into all that in just a little while here, but I want to kind of just paint more of a picture of your business here. Because one of the other interesting things is how you do pricing. I think we were talking about this just a couple of weeks ago when we were hanging out in Colorado, right? Like, can you talk a little bit about how you price projects? I think you do like a per page system. Is that right? We do per page template. So in WordPress, you know, if you think of the, the template hierarchy, uh, not to get too technical if you're not familiar with WordPress, but, you know, there's the homepage and then there's an archive page and then there's a single post page and then there's a, a list page for your projects and stuff like that. So we, we basically took 18 months of data um, across all of the projects that we worked and we normalized them into how much they cost or should have cost per page template. And this allowed us to create sort of like a calculator where I just look at a sitemap, pump in the number of page templates, and it tells me how many content blocks they can have for this price. And it gives us the ability to avoid the chicken and the egg problem with design agencies where you know they need us to give them a budget before there's any design. And you know the typical way of budgeting is looking at a design. And so by using the sitemap and thinking of it in page templates, we can become project priced, which gives the agency just a flat rate so they don't have to worry about scope changing halfway through because we, we screwed something up. Yeah, I, I really like that because it's like, I, I mean, anytime you can like break away from billing by the hour, right? Because with the hourly billing, it just seems like the incentives aren't aren't really aligned, you know? Yeah, there is no incentive because you're still you're still held to a budget regardless. Right. So by doing it, I think by doing it this way, it, it puts the, the pressure on us internally to get more efficient and to create better process so that we can become more profitable. And that's the idea is, right? Like we shouldn't need to raise our prices every single time we want to make more money. We can just become more efficient and then just squeeze a little bit more profit out of every project. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, like you say, like when, you're, when you get to, into project billing and then in this case, even getting more optimized with it like per page per like page template or or block in in WordPress I guess you know that's where you can start to really actually be incentivized to make your operations more efficient I I really also liked that that tactic that you did where you, where you just look at your past year or two of, of of billings and you can do do like an analysis to see okay where did all of our hours go and and figure out like an like an average cost to to start to dial in like all right well here's a here's a good flat rate for us yeah, we, we, we got really, really meticulous with the way that we track time. So we use a tool called Hubstaff and Hubstaff integrates really well with Trello. And so we can assign time to Trello cards. And so we just really, really thought from a generic standpoint, we have a Trello project template that we use as the starting point. And it has all the things that are common among every project. Because if you think about it, a marketing website can look a lot of different ways, but the functionality is always the same. And so by creating a really systematic approach to our project management and then investing in a framework that reuses code, we're able to, to see really precisely how much things cost, even down to the content block, right? So we know the page template, the per page template price, but we also know the per content block price. So if we needed to do like a one page website that had 30 content blocks and it was like one of those scrolling, you know, long scrolling pages, we could do that too pretty accurately. Yeah, awesome. So what does your team look like today? Like, or 
like, like the business as a whole, like any sense of, of size, whether it's like team size or revenue or number of projects and things like that? So we are about, uh, well, not about, we are six developers, if you include myself, although I don't really do much um, development. I'm more QA. And then we have a, a VA who does the prospecting for our outbound sales. So we're all development and, you know, one support staff. Got it. Got it. And then what is your, like currently, what is a typical project in terms of like your team? Like who's doing what among your developers? Do you have like more senior developers and junior developers and who's kind of like running the show there? Yeah. So we have two front end developers, uh, Victoria. Uh, so, so first of all, our entire team is now in Kiev or not, not necessarily Kiev in, in the Ukraine. All but two are in Kiev. Victoria, uh, with her family, she's elsewhere. And our JavaScript developer, Dima, is in a smaller town outside of Kiev. So they're all, they're all in Eastern Europe, and, um, which is great because now they have their own little community that they're building internally as the team. Um, and so Victoria is our, our most senior develop, not, not senior in terms of uh, status, but she's been with the company the longest. She's our front-end developer, and we have a junior front-end developer. Alex is our team lead, and he's also our back-end specialist. And then we have a junior back-end developer. And then we have a JavaScript specialist. So when we're doing hybrid WordPress projects with React or Vue, he jumps into those. I manage uh, project management, QA, and sales. And Ryan, who was your VA for a long time, actually. You yeah, that's right. He, he worked with me at Audience Ops for like three years, and then uh, he kind of moved on to your company. That's awesome. Yeah, so he he does all of our software updates and stuff like that for WordPress because we do maintenance plans, and he also does prospecting. His main role is prospecting, although right now because of the you know the stay at home and, and all of that, we've paused it. Yeah, but we created a pretty good system, and it's one of those things where it's a fire hose. We can just turn it on and off. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We're we're definitely going to get into that, and also how you're you're adapting it in this uh, current climate here. Yeah, trying to. <laughs> <laughs> Can you give us like a sense of like what what is a typical or or like a range ballpark range of of prices for for like creative agencies just so people sort of like understand the ballpark here like what would a typical project look like in terms of cost or is is there just no typical project is is it very different Yeah so so I, I know what our average price was and in 2019 our average price was 12,000 we have a minimum price of 6,000 and our largest project to date was something around fifty five thousand. So it does it does it does get you know it, there is quite a bit of range, but the most typical type of site that we build is a simple marketing site, and those are typically going to be in the ten thousand to twelve thousand dollar range. Got it, got it. And then your role, you said that obviously you're doing sales, you're doing project management. So does that mean like you're you're the person doing like like talking to the client, going back and forth between your development team and what the client is or whoever, like you're the person they're communicating with? Yeah, you, you suspect that there's a lot of communication with the client. Because we work with agencies and because the goal is to work with agencies for a long time over multiple projects, once you've worked with an agency once or twice, you start to get a feeling for how they do things and it becomes pretty simple. It's usually just a, an email in the beginning. And then we have two milestones where we bring them in for their own QA. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an account management role, probably more than a project management role. And I am transferring project management over to Alex. He's basically taking over the entire operation of our of our company. And I'm going to be moving away and working on sales and marketing exclusively, hopefully. I mean, that would be, that would have been the goal had you know COVID not become a thing. That's where we were headed. We've had to take a couple steps back just to keep ourselves in survival mode. But eventually, I can't do all of those three roles effectively. It's too much work. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah, and like before we dive into the whole uh, outbound sales engine that you had going, I mean, ha- like what happened this year? I, it's it's a question that is coming up on every one of these interviews here. So what do things look like for, for you and Secret Stash, you know, in February, March, April of this year in 2020? Yeah, so we had it. We had it doubly bad because uh, at the end of last year, uh, I decided to reinvest the profit into the team. So we grew our, we grew our team in October, November. So we, these three new developers, a JavaScript specialist and the two junior developers are, are new. They've been with the company less than a year. And so it was a decision that Alex and I made to build the team up. So that was a big investment that sort of like depleted our war chest and any profit that I would have taken home for myself personally. And then historically, January and February are the worst months for us with regard to revenue. Um, because a lot of times like people are just getting their budgets for following for the, the coming year and the agencies are still getting vetted. So we haven't even been brought into the process. So with not having a big war chest, but having low revenue, when February end of February came around and it became, you know, a real problem, we were in big trouble financially, right? Because I hadn't prepared for this. Uh, I had to give us enough breathing room. So that was already a problem. But uh, in addition to this, what we saw is only one project that we had under contract was postponed. We had uh, three projects, not including that one, that were delayed, that were just still in negotiation. But everything else happened, right? So our our biggest concern is not March and April, It's and not even May, because we still have things that are under contract where we've already been given deposits and stuff like that, so they're going through with it. It's June, July, August. And that's still a bit of an unknown for us. And up until this week and the end of last week, I was nervous, but something happened. I don't know if it's the stimulus money or whatever, but we started getting leads again. So for us, once uh, the stay-at-home orders started to happen, our leads just fell off a cliff. Even though it's B2B and not B2C, it didn't really matter. Everything just stopped for us. And we're high touch, so we don't get hundreds of leads a week, right? We get single-digit leads a week, and we'll convert you know, 15 to 25% of those leads, and they just all went away. So it was devastating because I hadn't been through anything like this before, and it was really, really challenging trying to navigate that world with these, you know, opportunities with grants and stuff like that. So while everyone else was talking about drinking at nine in the morning, I had probably 60 hour weeks for two months, right? It was like probably the busiest I've ever been, but it was all survival. Yeah. I mean, it's such a crazy time. And and like, you know, this type of thing, I mean, for people like us, it's not the kind of thing that we expect to happen, you know, or, you know, we, we hope that our government is thinking about like these things, these pandemics could happen. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But in in terms of like business, like, because when I think about your business around December, January of this year, you know, you had a great year last year and you had this predictable, like like you call it, like, what'd you say? Like a fire hose of of leads, like an actual engine that you can turn on and turn off. And so that's the kind of thing that can give you that confidence to, to reinvest in the business. So even if it's sort of like, project based and and you're booking, you know, a couple of months out, at least you had that predictability of the leads pipeline, but then who could predict a worldwide pandemic that would turn off the leads, right? I mean, that's a similar story to to what I saw in audience ops. Although I frankly I don't have the the leads pipeline really dialed in as as much as you do. We're, we're much more reliant on on organic stuff, but but we saw a similar thing where it, it slowed down in March and then it was kind of quiet and then finally some some signs of life you know th- things are just opening up again in, in april and again it's kind of hard to tell like maybe it's 
the stimulus? I'm not really sure, to be honest. Yeah, it's interesting. So the reason why we got into outbound sales is because organic doesn't really work for us. It probably could work, but the reason why it's difficult is because we are so niched that all of the leads that we got from our content marketing and our inbound marketing were full service, right? They wanted us to design and develop. So all we got were unqualified leads. And so the only reason why I even thought about outbound sales is because you know I did all the things that I was supposed to do in order to have a content marketing engine. We did weekly blog posts. A lot of our blog posts have thousands of shares, right? And none of them brought qualified leads. And so I kind of got stuck with what am I supposed to do? Yeah, because you have like very specific criteria. So like you could get a bunch of leads, but yeah, it's hard for them to meet all the check boxes. Like they have to be a creative agency. They have to not have in-house developers, right? Like what, what are the criteria that you look for in, a, in like an ideal lead for Secret Stash? An ideal lead is an agency that's probably less than 200 people in the company. That, that's sort of where our qualification is when we do outbound sales. But I would say if you're an agency that's less than 20 people, if the founder is also the creative director, these are the types of agencies that typically don't have strong DNA with regard to development, right? So they need that partner. So those are our, our best types of agencies. But we work with a 150-person agency and we work with a freelancer, right? So it, it's not that we really require them to have you know, a, a certain size company. The only real requirements are we don't do any design. We don't do any client project management. So as long as the agency or the freelancer is willing to handle that, you know, we can handle the you know, the um, the development, the hosting, the maintenance, the content fulfillment, all the objective things that don't require a whole lot of input from the client, right? And that's, and, you know, if we were a design agency, there's no way that we could do this because how do you create project pricing for something so subjective as right, right. a brand? Yeah. And I mean, especially when you're doing like web development for basically marketing websites, you know, they're so predictable. I could see where it gets harder when it's like custom software. I mean, I'm sure you guys do some pretty complex stuff, but still it's, it's like you can make it more like fairly predictable, especially like we were talking earlier, you can analyze hours upon hours of projects to see, you know, averages. Yeah. And, and so where, where we can't give project pricing is, so on that, the, on the largest project we've ever done, we gave them a range. And the reason why we had to give them a range is because we built a, a custom React calendar that pulled in live sports data from the TV media API. And I had never done anything like that before, right? So there's no way I could just give you a flat number. But, you know, you can, just like anything else, if you've been in the business long enough, you can say, okay, well, this should take this many hours. Let's double that because we're always going to miss something. And then you can just give the estimate from there. But like I said, the, the vast majority of websites that we do are marketing websites that are in the, you know, $10,000 to $12,000 range. And those are very, very predictable. And yeah. when we're doing our job correctly, and it really starts with how effective we are with the internal project management. But if we do that job right, they're incredibly profitable. I, I have, like, because of more aware, because of all the software companies that we have um, in the microconf community that we talk to and, and like the profit margins that they talk about, I'm looking at like, how do I make a agency, even though we're not technically one, we're still service based, how do we become as profitable as a software company doing client services? And that's my goal. And I think it's possible to have the 35 to 40% profit margins in a service. It's just, it's going to require a lot of discipline, right? With the internal uh, project management and efficiencies. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So like, let's get into it with the, with this like sales engine. Actually, let's start with what it looks like today or, you know, not really today in 2020, because I know things got kind of crazy with, with COVID, but let's say in January, 2020, what did your sales system look like? What were the key components? Yeah, oh, where to start? 
So I will say that it's it's. We'll go back and like how you constructed it in, in the beginning, but yeah. Like, what's like the latest version of this? Okay, so we're we're using um, a service called Legendary Legion. Um, it's sort of like the basis of where everything starts, and what this it's a it's a software with a service. Um, and what this does, it it logs in as you, and then it based on the criteria you provide it, it does connection requests. On- so it logs into your LinkedIn as you. Yeah, I think it uses something like Phantom JS, where it's like user testing type JS, where it actually is like a user. It, it's like actually like a user goes in, it does the filtering, and then it just does connection requests periodically. And what that was getting us was something like between 25 and 30 very, very qualified connection requests every single day. And the service gives you a lot of flexibility with regard to how many messages you want to send and what you want to send. But I was really keen on keeping it very simple. I didn't want it to sound salesy at all. And so all I was really looking for was to connect with a creative director from an agency that fit our criteria. And then it was it's the with with the connection request you get a message and then when they connected, it would wait a day or two and then it would follow up with a uh, second message and then that that was it. So that's sort of where it starts. So that, I mean that's cool because like we were talking offline about this. Like LinkedIn is one of those things. I'm sure I'm not alone here that. I've had my LinkedIn profile for, I don't know, over a decade and I almost never touch it. You know, I, I just don't use LinkedIn and I always feel like I should be using it more. So I even kind of forget how some of the basic mechanics of LinkedIn work. So is it like when you send a connection request, does it have to be a mutual back and forth? Like I send you a request and then you have to like accept it and then we are connected or is it more like Twitter where I could follow you, you don't have to follow me? It has to be a mutual connection. Okay. And so what Legendary Legion does is like it kind of automates that. It'll go out and find people of this criteria that you're looking for and it'll send, I guess it sends more than 20 or 30 requests because you get 20 or 30 accepted every day. Yeah. So they're, they're really clever with the way that they do it. They only do it during business hours. Their threshold is way below the threshold that LinkedIn would ex- like, you know, because this, this does go against the terms of service, I'm sure in some degree, but like, they stay within the threshold, so it's 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 not like a it doesn't feel like spam. And then you know it could be a day or a couple hours or a couple of weeks before they actually accept that connection request. If they accept the connection, that's the other thing about LinkedIn. Like I, you know, again, I don't really use it. So maybe once every year or two, I might go in there and just accept a bunch of requests that have like piled up. But like, do I guess there are people who are just kind of checking it every week and they'll just accept the latest like requests that they see. I think it's very, very correlated to the industry. And I think that the creative agency industry, there's a lot of posturing in it. There's a lot of, you know, promoting awards and stuff like that. So it's just another place for them to really get their message out there. So I think with this industry specifically, they are very active on it. And I was surprised too. I don't use it for any other purpose than this. Now now that I've seen it work on the other end, I'm looking at it like, well, okay, well, maybe I should be using LinkedIn a little bit more for organic type stuff too. But I haven't jumped into it yet because I don't, I don't personally find value in it. All of the LinkedIn connection requests that I get feel like spam. And here I am, right? Like doing the same thing. But yeah. the difference is, is that like we did our research and, and the research is how we narrow down to get the the right person at the right company um, in the right industry. And so if you if you can get those things dialed, then you can come up with a narrative that makes sense for that specific person in that specific agency, right? Yeah. It's just that everyone gets stinked. 
and I don't want to go into like your specific criteria because it's going to be different for every single person's business. But I, I do want to let people know that like you have put a lot of work into dialing in that criteria and experimenting and and just figuring out exactly. We were talking about it earlier, like the types of agencies, the headcount, and yeah. a number of other factors that make somebody a quality target or not. Yeah. Before you even you know have them send the the connection request. Yeah, I mean, and that was that was something that we started probably three years ago, right? Uh, and then have refined and refined and refined. And and now it sort of is what it is, right? Like there's not much more we can tweak out of it. So so then what happens next? So so that you have this mutual accepted request on LinkedIn, where do things go from there? Yeah, so I log in. Uh, the last thing I do every day before I end my day is I take about 15 minutes and I go through and I qualify really quickly the leads that were um, automatically connected. Because you know, there's going to be some false positives. People were at a creative agency, but within like two weeks, they changed companies and now they're in-house and so they're no longer really qualified. And so what I'll do is with Sales Navigator, you can tag and Sales Navigator is just a premium product on top of LinkedIn. It's like 150 bucks a month per user. And with this tool, you can tag. That's like, that's like a tool from LinkedIn like that they sell. Yeah, it is actually a requirement in order to get all this filtering down. So you would have to have this tool in order to use legendary lead gen. But what I could do is I go in and I qualify them. And if they're a good fit, I do the, the, you know, the three letter month and the four letter year. So it would be APR 2020. And I just do that. It literally to go through all 30 takes me 15 minutes. It's a good way to sort of like, decrease. and that's like a little, a little trick for you to be able to see like the, the latest request from this month. Yeah. Because what I do at the end of the month, I use a tool called, uh, Wiza, W-I-Z-A.co. Um, and this, this tool basically extracts the non-private information of a LinkedIn contact out of LinkedIn. So it'll give you like their professional email address. It'll give you, you know, the website of the business they work for, their, their title, their LinkedIn URL, their Twitter URL. It'll give you everything about this person. And I just export that out of LinkedIn and import it into our CRM, which is Pipedrive. Okay. All right. Let me, let me pause there and, and unpack a little bit. Okay. Just a minute to tell you about Productize. If you're sick of the client services treadmill, well, there's a better way, a productized service. That's why I built Productize. It's a private community and training program for people like you and me. We're operating a client services business and we're scaling it up using the productized service model. Join our private Slack, our private forum, and get matched into your own small mastermind group with other members. Give and get honest, constructive feedback to grow your productized service business this year. Plus, get access to my productized course, which gives you everything that you need to start, grow, and systematically build your productized service business. The best part about becoming a member? No ongoing subscription. Purchase once and you get lifetime access to everything. Go to productizecommunity.com for all the details. And right now you can get 10% off by using this special URL, productizecommunity.com slash podcast. So at the end of every day, you're going through like today's 20 or 30 connections from, from LinkedIn that have come from legendary lead gen. And you're you're manually like personally checking them out, seeing like, okay, this person and their company looks like a good fit, or that one, maybe they passed my initial criteria, but for whatever reason, they're they're not a, a good fit. So you actually take like 15 or 20 minutes and do this, that sort of manual like eyeballing of these? Yeah, it's it's the it's the last piece that has me involved, but it's it's sort of hard 
to pass this on to anybody else because you have to log in as me. You know, our, our VA is in the Philippines. So under that IP address, he would probably have to get the text message sent to him every time. We, we tried and it just didn't really work out. And so because it's only 15 minutes, I just do it. And just to give like listeners a, some context here, like the re- we're going to get into this in, in just a minute, but like the reason why you put all this effort into qualifying each lead is because eventually you're going to be actually mailing them a package through the mail and, and you know, developing a relationship. So you don't want to just you know, blanket spend on all those mailings for, for unqualified leads, right? Yeah. The pack, like we, we estimated that it's about $50 per lead. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll get it. We'll get into that in, in just a second. So, so you do the manual qualifying and then you, and then you bring it into this tool, Weza, which basically pulls out their information, like the, in, in their public information in LinkedIn, are, are, do people display their email address? Is that how, how you get that? Or? I think it uses the Hunter I, IO API for that or, or full contact okay. API. So it kind of uses like a bunch of factors and some APIs to, to sort of like make a good guess on what, what their email address might be. Yeah. And it gives you like a, a percentage of confidence. Okay. And then it's also like getting their mailing address. Is that right? Like their company, their office mailing address? Uh, yeah. Yep. If that, if that's in LinkedIn, otherwise the, the next step after that is uh, Ryan, the VA goes through and gets all of the other information that we need in order to, you know, send them this physical mailer. Got it. Got it. All right. So, so then between you and then, and it goes through Weza, then it goes to Ryan, the, the VA, and it ends up in Pipedrive, your your CRM. So yeah, let's uh, let's pick it pick it up from there. Yeah, this this is where things get kind of cool. So new for this year, we partnered with a fulfillment center called SwagUp out of New Jersey, SwagUp.com, and they are, are they were they were a, like a startup that would be for like when you onboarded an employee and you wanted to send them a swag package or her a swag package, like you could do all your stuff branded and they would just take care of it and send it to you. And I had reached out to them. I was like, hey, can you warehouse? the thing that I want to send. And they were like, sure. So they gave me a price that was really affordable. And I partnered with a, a, a manufacturer of these UI sketch pads. It's a co-brand, our logo and their logo on it. And then just had them go right from the shipper to this fulfillment center. So for folks who, who aren't aware, like, like the UI sketch pads, these are basically like pads yeah. that if you design user interfaces, design websites or software, they kind of have like pre- wireframes or outlines of like an iPhone and iPad and mm-hmm. all these different interfaces, right? So it, it makes it easy to like sketch out ideas on, on it. Like it's a pretty cool little thing to have if you're a designer. Yeah. When I was thinking about what kind of gift I wanted to give, I didn't, I didn't want it to be something that like, cause you could think of a lot of really bad things to send people like a pen with your logo on it or something like that. Right. Uh, I wanted something that would be practical for the person I was sending it to. So these are all being sent to creative directors. And so I thought, well, you design websites. I build websites. If there was a Venn diagram, what would that overlap look like as a gift? And this is the one that I found out to be the best. It also turns out that the guy who creates them lives a mile and a half away from me, which is insane that that was just randomly happened. So we became friends. And so I approached him and said, hey, what would it take for me to actually get my logo on it? And he just gave me a deal to buy them bulk. And he even created the card, the promotional card that gets packaged with them. So that it's not just a, a pad with nothing else. It actually has a you know like our Calendly link on it, or it's a link that redirects our Calendly link or something like that, right? Uh, and uh, our pitch all on this little square card. So it all gets packaged together. It gets uh, from the printer, gets sent over to SwagUp, and then within PipeDrive, we just drag into columns in their Kanban boards, and each of those movements from one Kanban to the next triggers automation. 
And so the first one that it triggers is when we drop the card, which is a, a person, right? A creative director gets dropped into the first or the second, they all get dropped into the first column, which is, I think, standby. And then when they get dropped into the next column through the Zapier API, Zapier and SwagUp API, it triggers the automation for them to ship that out the next day. And what's really, really cool about SwagUp is that they have a tracking API. So every single time a status update is like a new status update, it sends that information back to Pipedrive and moves it to the next column. So I can actually look at hundreds of these things being sent and each of them yeah, sort of and, moves around. And with those shipping updates, can you see when it was delivered? Yeah. And so that when it's delivered, it actually sends a post request to BlueTick, Mike Tabor's uh, cold email software. And then they go through our outbound cold email cadence, which used to happen in Pipedrive. Oh, wow. One by one, I had to basically send them. You know, I had templates for all this stuff. But uh, yeah, I got on the phone with Mike and, and he showed me how we could use his tool to, to build it. And, um, and that's where we were in January, right? We had this whole thing set up. And so can you give us a sense of like the, the funnel? So or in terms of like, whatever numbers you're, you're willing to share, like how, like you, you said, you said that you had like 20 or 30 new connections every day. Like how did that filter down to like how many say packages are shipped out? per, I don't know, week or month or however you measure it. Yeah. So prior to this system, when I was actually walking to the bodega that has a USPS in the back of it in Denver, I could only really do 10 a week because it's a lot of work to package these things up and, you know, put the labels on it. And 10 would take me a couple hours just to get set up, including, you know, walking to the USPS. And so what I wanted to do is go from 10 a week to a hundred a week but I couldn't afford it because like these things are expensive. There's a huge cost that comes with this. And so when we, so we only really did this for, for January and February until we had to stop because no one's actually in the office anymore. But for those two months, we did a hundred each month. So we, you know, we were doing 40 a month before and now we're doing a hundred a month. So we didn't quite three exit. Right. But the idea being is that, but by, by plugging in the, the sh- like basically like a drop shipper, I guess, if you could, yeah, the drop shipper and the blue tick because I, I didn't have to pay attention blue to tick, that. That kind of automates those pieces. Yeah. And they're all great because all of these things, when there's responses to them, they just kind of cut and then I get notified and then I pick up the conversation, right? Obviously, like I... And I guess bringing those in, especially the shipper, right? Like they, they add a lot of cost on your end that wasn't there before, but you're increasing volume by a lot. Yeah, and it's about 50... I think it was like between 45 and $50 per... Full, like this is including the cost of blue tick is including the cost of um, the fulfillment center, legendary lead gen, the VA, all of that. It was about $50 per package that was sent. And we were converting at 4%. That actually still sounds low for, for cost. It, it's really, yeah, it's really low. Yeah. And then converting at 4%. So out of those hundred, well, I guess I, I know the hundred level is kind of new, but like how many like phone calls does that lead to like after they receive the package? This this isn't a hundred percent accurate because it also includes prior to doing it this way. But if we do include all of the work that I've ever done on this outbound sales campaign, it's uh, twelve hundred dollars to acquire a customer. And our lifetime value is, I think, was in two thousand nineteen when we did that. Our lifetime value was just under forty thousand dollars. Got it. Got it. And I mean, you know, if we go back to earlier in the conversation where you're talking about, you know, average project price and everything, you got to keep in mind that these agencies, once they work with you, they're going to work with you again and hopefully again and again and again, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's unfortunate that we don't always have that happen. But for the most part, I don't know off the top of my head what our average project per 
agency is. But if I were to guess, it would be in the you know three and a half to four type projects range. Because if our if our project average is about twelve thousand, you know, and our our lifetime value is a little under forty thousand, then it would be three to four to five projects, depending on how big. Got it. Got it. So, I mean, we'll we'll wrap up here in just a second, but I'm I'm curious, like, so you said that you've been working on this system for about three years, right? Like, like you just kind of walked us through the current model, and I and I know things like COVID kind of threw a wrench in all of that here in 2020. But what were some of the early steps that you took to even start going down this path of like setting up like an outbound system? And then what were some of like the key, if you could think back in like the past three years? What were like the key milestones or like aha moments when things just really started to click into place? Yeah, so we were doing this way before we were using LinkedIn. The way that we prospected originally was we we created a Python script through a Chrome extension called Dataminer that allowed us to crawl and extract all of the local businesses from a local search query. So a lot of people don't know this, but if you do like a well, I guess a lot of people on this listening here probably knows this, but if you if you do like a local query like Denver marketing agencies, you get the six pack or whatever they call that now. But if you if you go to the bottom of the six pack, there's a more places button. If you click on that, it actually takes you to a local algorithm. So it paginates just like the normal search enter result page, but it's all local results. And they expose the phone number, the address, the website, and the business name. And so you can use Python to crawl all of those pages and pull all of that oh, data. Like Google search results pages. So that's how we started, right? So we would do that, and then we would go to the website and find the right person, right, mm-hmm. from that website. And that was a, a you know, it's a great thing to have done because it really sort of opened my eyes to the, the vast number of agencies in Denver, Boulder, the metro area. There's like 400 agencies, right? <laughs> so there's just, just so many. Denver, then. That's just a Denver. City by city. Yeah. So, so originally we had planned on just doing things, um, you know, isolated to metro areas. So we would exhaust all of Denver metro and then we would go into maybe Chicago. And that was sort of the way we were going to go. But then when Brian Marble, one of the guys in our mastermind group, had suggested Legendary Legion, we brought that in. But for those who don't have the budget to use Legendary Legion, because it is, it does come with a, a decent budget, you could do this for free and get basically all the same data. What you're not going to get is that sort of like warm connection. Because if one thing we didn't talk about that's I think true is if we're doing if we're if we're getting the timing right, you should be getting the package no more than two weeks after you've connected with me. We have a weird brand name called Secret Stash. We have a funny logo. And so those things sort of carry over that we have a connection. It's no longer cold. When you get the package, it's like, oh, it's from this guy who connected with me. And then when you get a cold email, you don't think of it as spam. All of those things I think do play into why we have, why this works, right? Because yeah. we're putting in the effort. Uh, the other thing is that like marketing agencies don't do good puffy mailers like we do. And so a lot of times we get people who are just interested in saying, hi, thanks for this dope thing that you sent us. Like I can appreciate the work, but once you get somebody on the phone, you can sell them. And so this is a great place to start, but I think that um, it, doesn't, it doesn't really give you the ability to, to warm up the lead. Because they're getting basically a package without ever hearing hearing about you. But that's how it started. Yeah, I mean, and, and the package is great too, because it's like, like you said, it's something that's actually cool and useful and valuable for, for these people. But then ultimately, it's like a really great conversation starter. It's like a reason to get on the phone and thank someone or, or, or comment about how, how interesting it is, right? Like it's, because otherwise you, you would just be dealing with a cold 
call or a cold outreach. And why am I calling you today? Well, I'm trying to sell you something. Well, at least this is like, it's a, it's a good, you know, icebreaker. It's, it's interesting because, you know, the, the, there's three steps that I think everyone wants to skip over because they're, they're obvious, but even when they're obvious, people get it wrong all the time. It might be worth just, just mentioning really quickly because the only way that this works is if you have a specific industry, right? So you, if I, if I were doing this for creative agencies, but then also doing it for dentist office, like this wouldn't work, right? Because the gift would have to be different. The language that we use would have to be different. The way that we approach them would have to be different. So when you're, if you're considering outbound sales, I mean, the first thing you got to consider is, do you have a big enough lifetime value to spend $1,200 per customer, right? That's probably not the case for a lot of businesses. But if that, if that passes, the next thing is like, even if you do believe that you have multiple industries that you can target, you have to narrow it down to just one, or you have to do one of these for each of those industries. Because I think that the gift needs to be practical. It also needs to be something that like the, the whole process should go along with how uh, your target does their business. And so like part of the interesting part of this is that marketers are doing campaigns like this. And yet the development company who shouldn't know how to do this stuff is doing it in some cases better than them. And it's all part of the game, right? So you need to define that industry. You got to find the job role, right? The other thing that people don't do is like, you can't just send this to creative directors, account managers, salespeople. It has to be one job role within the company, right? And then yeah, what is that thing that you're going to send them? I think that we're lucky that there's a, a, a sketch pad that sort of demonstrates their value and our value on a project. But I'm pretty sure that you could, if you know your audience well enough, you can think of something that would be applicable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, it just goes to show like it, it this is not the kind of thing that just comes together overnight. Because I've heard so many of these like sales tactics and and tutorials and like, oh, it's just so easy. In these five steps, you could set up this fully functional funnel. You know, I, I mean, I, I think that this podcast here today is going to be very useful for folks. But even if people listen to what what you're talking about here today and start to implement it, it's not going to work right out of the gate. I mean, you took three years to put these pieces together. And I think maybe it wouldn't take a full three years, but it's still so much trial and error and dialing in for each individual industry and figuring out who that right person is yeah. and figuring out what what your own business is best positioned to deliver as like an ideal solution and an ideal target customer and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's funny. So the very, very, very first person I ever sent this to, we ended up working with in the same cadence we sent something, this is end of 2017, I guess, October, November, 2017. I think I actually mentioned this in in Slack the other day or one of our happy hour calls, but one, another person in that cadence reached out for the first time a month ago. And I sent it to them in 2017. This is a long game, right? It's, it's, it, it blew my mind. They had basically like, I guess, starred the email or put it in a folder and just said, we don't need this right now, but I guess they lost their developer and they reached out. So we'll see if we get that project, but it's interesting. It's, it's, it has the ability to work right away, but it's a long game. And the other thing is it's a sales process, right? So you have to think of it like an enterprise would think of sales. I've never done enterprise sales, but you know, like when you work for Salesforce and you're doing sales six months, right? That's what their goal is, is to convert somebody in six months. I mean, I don't know that we can afford to wait that long for everybody, but if you're not really interested in that, it's not going to work out for you. The other thing is there's a lot of really crappy, alternatives to legendary lead gen in LinkedIn that'll do this for you. But if you're not like proactively qualifying and, and making sure that you're doing the right filters, people are going to, 
I mean, like I had it like when I first started, I didn't have my copy down right. And people would reach out upset that I tricked them. Right. So when you when you're doing these cold things, just think about that. You know, like there's a way for cold email and cold calls to work. So like early on, it was like a little bit more trying to be clever about it or or being a little bit overly salesy. Yeah, I, I actually had a pitch. So we don't pitch anything in any of our emails. All we do is, is, is pitch some sort of value. Like, you know, I, I say uh, on, on our follow-up after the week connect, I say, you know, I, I basically say I've been, um, for the last decade, I've been slanging the 00110s. If you ever find yourself in a WordPress pickle, I'm just a few clicks away. And then I, I, I end with, it's a little bit longer than that. And I could actually, if someone wants to see it, they can just hit me up on Twitter. I'll give it to them exactly. I just can't think of it right now. But I end it with, oh, you know what I say? As I say, I've been doing this for however long. And if I had a professional superpower, it'd be somewhere at the intersection of design and development. I prefer design way more than code, but I find myself more efficient writing code. And then I ask, what's your professional superpower? Almost every single response is that person's professional superpower, which I didn't have any motive for that. But once you know what they think they're great at, oh my God, like that is like the best thing that you can use as a sales tactic, right? Because now you know exactly what you can help them with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Two things kind of pop out to me about that. I mean, I, I've seen the same thing when I do sales for like audience ops is like, I'm very much like a, a, what do you call it? Like a question-based seller. Like I just, I just ask questions and get the person talking about themselves and about their experiences and how things were painful and, and why they came to us and things. And that's just a, a much easier way, much lower pressure way to, to relate to them. But specifically in your industry, I could totally see why that line kind of resonates where, where you say like, I'm, I'm at the intersection of design and development because like I'm a little bit, I, I'm kind of both, I'm a designer and a developer, but when I do hire a developer, if I sense or if I hear from them that they have any sort of design chops or or an appreciation of of design principles and things, even if I'm not hiring them as a designer, like that always puts them at a leg up because it's like as a designer, I want my developer to understand the design, you know. And that's a and huge objection. That's, why, that's like an a, a, like an attractive plus. Yeah, it's a it's a huge objection to outsourcing development is that the developers don't have the same keen eye that the designers do, or you know. Most often, they don't expect you to have the same keen eye, but they expect you to try to get it, you know, because a lot of work goes into it. And so that's, that's basically what we're saying is, look, you know, like, I, I will always talk about UI specific stuff, typography specific stuff, because I know that it's important to the designers. Yep. Yep. Well, hey, Rich, this has been awesome. I feel like we had like the same conversation that we had a couple months ago when we were hanging out in, in Colorado, where I was picking your brain about this stuff. And I'm glad I was able to get you back on here so we can actually get it recorded and other people can kind of listen into this. I definitely learned a lot of it once again. And one of these years, man, one of these years, I'm going to, I'm going to put something together like, like, like what you've put together here. So yeah, it's on that forever to-do list. Yeah, man. Anytime. Awesome. So we're going to get everything, you know, linked up in the show notes that, that you mentioned here. Of course, your, your company, secretstash.com and everything else, uh, anywhere else people can uh, connect with you. Yeah, you can hit me up on Twitter. I'm pretty active there. Uh, I'm much more of a listener than a speaker, but that's Rich Stats, S-T-A-A-T-S. There's two A's there. You can hit me up there. Otherwise, just send us uh, an email through the site. Very cool. All right, thanks, Rich. Yeah, thank you. All right, did that give you something to think about? If it did, let me know on Twitter. I'm at CastJam. If you want to find show notes on this or any of the other episodes, 
or my weekly newsletter with new content, head over to productizeandscale.com. Now, if you haven't already, a five-star review in iTunes, that would go a long way to helping other folks find the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time.